welcome to Didn't See It Coming, the podcast about brands that learn from the past, look to the future, and profit today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. Len, how you doing? Doing, doing well. How are you, Mark? <laughs> doing good. Doing good. I'm, I'm super stoked to have you here. I mean, I'm stoked to have all my guests here, but I'm super stoked to have you here. We've known us how long now? 10, 15 years, probably? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Both came up, uh, well, you were, you were pretty hardcore into the green world when I was just entering, getting my feet wet in it. And uh, for, for listeners, is Len Laycock, and Len is a serial entrepreneur. He didn't learn from the first experience, so he came back for more. And he is also uh, an entrepreneur in the sustainability space, which when I was running my agency change, we sort of crossed paths there. But um, Len, you, you built something really, really beautiful, uh, upholstery arts. And you were, it was like this super high-end, beautiful household store, um, a lot of your own design. It was your, a lot of your own design, or was it all your own? Uh, all of it. All of it was your own design? Wow. And that store was stocked. It was, there was a lot of nice stuff in there, but it was sort of wrapped you in this ambiance of, wow, this is the way I want to live. It was beautiful. So, so talk to me a little bit about uh, upholstery arts. How does, how does somebody build up a sort of a little mini empire designing and selling so many pieces uh, out of a retail location? That, that sounds like incredibly complex. Well, it took it, we worked, we, we had that business, uh, for 17 years. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we built it up. The genesis of that was when I was with Ikea, I, uh, I used to travel internationally with them and I was in England and I, I came across uh, a, st- uh, a store by Terence, Sir Terence Conran called Habitat. And um, in the very store- Very famous, a famous store, wasn't it? Very famous I remember, store. I remember reading about Habitat. Yeah, very famous. And, um, and they, had a, they had an idea at the time, which was novel at the time, where they had a department called uh, sofas a la carte and they had naked sofas and they had all the fabrics laid out and you could pick and choose what you wanted. And Ikea did not have that. Mm-hmm. And um, I looked at that and I thought it was very interesting. So I took it back to Ikea. There wasn't much interest in the idea. So, um, you know, you win some, you lose some. And mm-hmm. so I uh, went forward, but I liked the idea. And after I left Ikea, um, I started a business based on that, uh, very narrow focus of customization. Mm-hmm. And uh, we ran that for 17 years. And in the process, um, because that was through the 90s and the 2000s, the early 2000s, you know, I, I was personally going through a process of greening myself mm-hmm. and, 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 and starting to come to grips with what am, I, uh, what am I understanding about what's going on? I'm hearing so many conflicting things. So my, I educated myself over a period of years. And so I... I started to align the business with my personal values. And mm-hmm. that's how it became seriously green. Um, it still hurts that that business isn't around because mm-hmm. we were, we were well, your, your business and about a billion other businesses that was, well, many, it, went sure, down, there were, it went down during the last. There were many. And, and as an entrepreneur, we, we, we face those things. I've owned four businesses of significance over the years and interspersed spaces in between there where I worked for, uh, large corporations and senior positions. So, you know, you take your lumps. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so here I am back now with Horizontal.eco, mm-hmm. um, working in a, in a related space. Uh, but the whole furniture space, going back to when I started with IKEA, is familiar to me. 
Mm-hmm. Now, who's that in the background? Um, that's my son's bird, uh, my son's cockatiel, Dash. And he can hear me. He can hear me. I've, I've, t- I've taken you out of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Today, but he can hear me. And, you know, birds are, birds are creatures who like to be in the flock. Mm-hmm. So they like to participate. So he will whistle. Do you want me to shoot him or take him out of the room? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I think it's funny. I just, I just, I was just hoping that everybody who's listening and doesn't see the visual uh, thinks that there's not a squeaky door going on in the background. No, he's across the room and he can see me and he knows I'm talking to somebody. And it's he funny. Wants he sounds. He sounds very interested. He likes podcasts. <laughs> he loves. He's, he loves podcasts. Absolutely. <laughs> um, horizontal. Mm-hmm. Horizontal, you, uh, you know, we hadn't, we hadn't spoken in a little while and uh, you were, you're cooking up something new and then horizontal happened. Now horizontal is a gorgeous bed. I'm going to, I'm going to be the spoiler here. It's a gorgeous bed. It's a green bed. Uh, tell me about the genesis of that idea. That is, uh, how'd you come up with that? Well, um, uh, about 12, about 12 or 13 years ago, I, I was designing beds and thinking about them. Uh, because I, you know, I want to affect the whole furniture space. Uh, and beds, of course, were a focus of attention because they're, they're environmentally nasty. Mm-hmm. And I mean really nasty to the level that the average uh, uh, member of the population, the civilians, how we call them, mm-hmm. um, they have no idea how nasty they are. Uh, well over 90% of beds, perhaps over 96% of beds are made from petroleum directly from petroleum into petrochemicals and and they're you know they're turning to liquids and if everybody's if anybody any of the guys have ever used gillette foamy or one of those products where you take the Mm -hmm. foam out of a can that's how a bed gets made Mm. from these uh, petrochemicals and then they put flame retardants on them all of that i mean it's a it's a chemical stew that will you know make uh, your hair curl on the back of your neck uh, if people but knew and of course, we're all told, no, it's no problem. Uh, they're, they're all safe and everything, but, but they're not. Um, mm-hmm. they, they emit volatile organic chemicals uh, for a long, long, long time, all their lives. And mm-hmm. of course, uh, and our skin's say, on them. Your skin's on them. And it's not just that your skin is on them. Your eyes and your nose are on them. And you're on them for one third of your entire life. Mm-hmm. I, I suggest that's an that's a, uh, extensive chemical exposure. Yeah. Over time. And then, of course, when these beds are, are discarded, which averages about every seven or eight years, mm-hmm. there's a, and the industry wants a churn, they often will say, oh, this has a 25-year guarantee, but really, they need to roll those beds over. So mm-hmm. people uh, in North America replace them every seven, eight years. And of course, they never go away, Mark, because mm-hmm. people think, oh, they get recycled, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. No, no. We used to say reduce, reuse, recycle in that order. If you're not reducing, if you're not reusing and you're just recycling, you're actually, you're actually an enabler mm-hmm. of the problems we have today, like a Keurig coffee container. Mm-hmm. I mean, people excuse themselves because it's recycled, but what happens to it? Well, 99% of beds don't get recycled. Yeah. Uh, and we've all heard the stories about all of the plastics because that's what the beds are. So this is a major product category. It's in everybody's home. Everybody has one uh, or two or three, depending Mm -hmm. on the size of their family. And they're everywhere and they never go away, even when they're reduced to particulate. And as you go around in your daily life, you can no longer see 
the billions and billions and billions of old mattresses, yeah. they are still with you. And you know where they are, Mark? They're in your blood. Yeah, they're, they're in the in dirt, your, right? They're in the dirt. They're in your lettuce. They're in the air. They're in the water. They're in our pet cockatiel dash. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's how serious it is. And there's a, a, a woman, uh, a lovely woman out of uh, Texas, a woman called Anna Sova, who has a bedding line. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was listening to Anna one day and she said, you know, every year Americans throw away so many mattress, mattresses, uh, it's as tall as Mount Everest. Jesus. So, so that's just one country. Mm-hmm. So it's a big problem and I decided uh, to address it. You know, it's funny because um, this story sounds so much like um, Interface. Interface yeah, car, but one of, one of the inspiring stories, everybody, everybody reads the interface story where the, the president uh, took a look at what his company was actually putting out a pipe into the river. And he yep. said, you know, years from now, they're going to throw us in jail for this. Yeah. And we're going to be, we're not going to come out if we don't do something. So he had this epiphany, the, the, the road to Jericho moment. And he said, I got to do something about this. And of course, interface was born. Turns out in their case, it was a long road to hoe, but it turns out that uh, good sustainability practice also in equaled good business practice. Now, I, I'm curious about that because, you know, I, I think that it's coming up very much nowadays, uh, diversity. Uh, companies that embrace diversity seem to be doing better that co- than companies that don't. And they say it's not necessarily the diversity that makes them better. It's that companies that embrace diversity are also open to innovation in other areas because that's just the way they're wired. And I think sustainability companies are, are, are built like that too. Thoughts on that? Well, well, that's right. Because both of the two issues you raise, uh, you know, diversity and sustainability, if you're going to look at those issues, you are by definition uh, more open-minded than the average Joe. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so therefore you're a person who has curiosity and you explore. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that, that opens you to new possibilities and, and, and you know, hopefully better possibilities. Now, with horizontal, is I believe one of the things that that well, I'm not I believe, COVID was one of those amazing slash terrible things that woke us up to just how bad the environment is, because it showed us within a couple of weeks how good the environment could be if we took our cars off the road. You know, cities like Beijing and 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 Mumbai suddenly the air was clear; they could see the blue sky that quickly. And I wonder, you know, us sleeping on beds us eating garbage, us sitting down on garbage. Uh, is it going to take uh, everybody in the world having allergies to everything before we wake up and say, you know, we should have, we should have bought one of those, one of those better beds. Is it, is it quick not. enough? I, I hope not. I, well, yeah. it isn't, it isn't quick enough. I mean, you know, uh, the, the little, the little moment of relief we've had on the environmental space in these past couple few months, uh, it's a, just a tiny drop in the bucket. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does point out how quickly things could improve if we got serious about it. I think we just have to have, um, you know, um, they say that to have a tipping point, you don't need everybody along for the ride. You need mm-hmm. 5 or 8% to create that tipping point. I suppose mm-hmm. that's what happened at the Bastille, you know, is not, not every fr- Frenchman was no. out there with, without their, with their pitchfork and their torch. No. But there was enough of them in, at one point that they, the thing tipped over and they overthrew uh, the, the old regime. Well, interesting so, fact about that. All these movements, whether you look at the Nazis, whether you look at um, the, uh, the Leninists, the, the, mm-hmm. the Bolsheviks, that was a tiny sliver of the population. 
you know, but uh, they, they were passionate about it, zealous about it. They overthrew the government. The rest of the people just kept on farming like they'd done for generations. But yeah, a tipping point can be reached pretty quick. However, there's one, I mean, one thing I learned from the green world, you've got the bell curve of consumers mm -hmm. and you've got the values-based consumers up front. And the problem with most green companies is that they get them and they go, we're on our way. And then they hit the early uh, mainstream who don't give a crap. They want to have green, but they're soccer moms and dads who have a job and a million other worries. So you have to give them a selfish benefit too. And I think that's where a lot of green companies fell down. They grabbed the values-based consumers who would buy something green just because, but then they hit a roadblock when it came to the early mainstream. Now, horizontal, uh, by the way, uh, horizontal.eco, E-C-O, if anybody wants to check it out, it's a gorgeous bed and it hits on this point that I'm going to hit on now. Um, that it gives you a selfish benefit as well. Yeah, you're Mr. Green Jeans, but it also looks pretty skookum. Well, it looks gorgeous. And more important, it's comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very good bed. I mean, we have spent uh, so far two and a half years in earnest uh, exploring, researching, testing the materials, building models, rejecting models, revising models over and over again to get to the level. Uh, that we're at. So it is, it is good looking. Uh, and of course, it, you know, and I guess it goes probably all the way back to, you know, the time I spent in Scandinavia. I'm, I'm heavily influenced by uh, Scandinavian design and, and the Bauhaus principles out of Germany in the early 20th century. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a less is more guy. I was a less is more guy before I became a green person and they just mesh together nicely. Mm -hmm. So any design we make is going to be uh, simple. And I mm -hmm. think there is beauty in, in simplicity. And also when, you know, i you know, we used to talk about in design, we used to say, well, we still do, uh, you know, form follows function. Well, mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've, I've sort of, as I, as I continue to educate myself constantly on this, I've come down with the three F's it's, it's form, uh, function and footprint. And I, I think uh, too many of my designer friends in the world, you know, I see new designs come out. And when I see some, some uh, brilliant, sometimes uh, super clever person has made another product out of plastic, say, say like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Kareem. Uh, yeah, yeah. Umbra. Umbra guy. Umbra. I'm thinking, what the hell are you doing, man? Mm -hmm. I mean, you have an education. You, you understand design. You understand the aesthetic. You understand function. Why can't you understand footprint? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and don't tell me that you're recycling it. I'll just slap you mm -hmm. because that doesn't cut it. So it's form, function, and footprint. That's that. way, we're in the 21st century now. This, this isn't 1960. It isn't 1980. It's form, function, and footprint. Now, when you, when you did UA, uh, Upholstery Arts, it wasn't easy being green. Has it gotten easier? Well, I think because I mean, I, I, I Kareem Rashid, Kareem, what was yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah that's Kareem right. Rashid of oh. Umbra. You know, he says, yeah, well, you know, you make these beautiful molded garbage cans and beautiful molded all this stuff. You can only do it in plastic. And I'm kind of not buying that anymore. But 20 no. years ago, when we were starting in this business, in the green business, or 15 years ago, um, for me, uh, being green was a lot harder has i mean you've been in it a lot longer than me has it has it gotten easier to source stuff that can actually make the green dream come true yes and no i'll, I'll give you an example um there's more information available there's more resources 
and more opportunity to, to find solutions. People are doing great things, like they're doing enormously great things, you know, with, the, the, with mushrooms now. I mean, Stella McCartney has been experimenting with a leather made from mushrooms. Mm -hmm. So um, you, you, that's exciting. And that wasn't the case what? back then. What happens, what happens <laughs> if you leave it in the closet too long? <laughs> Well, I won't get into the technical you can stuff. Harvest, you can harvest your handbag, put it on a salad. It's just that's about fun. looking to nature for yeah. your inspiration for the solutions. So that's, you know, so there's new possibilities developing, which is very exciting. But then also uh, things have also gotten more abysmal. I was visiting a factory in East Vancouver last fall, and uh, it happened to be near uh, a design center. And uh, I know some people who work in there who represent different product lines. And I had to wait for somebody who was late. So I got a coffee. And I decided to walk over and say hi to a couple of people. And I went into uh, uh, a textile showroom and I saw somebody I hadn't seen in some years, gave him a hug. And I said, well, what, what are you carrying now that's this green? And she said, oh, gosh, you know, I don't think we have anything anymore. And we looked through her showroom racks and she gave me a tour. Everything, every last thing was made from petroleum. There was, there was not a linen. There was not a natural cotton. There was not a wool. Actually, there was a linen, but it was mixed with uh, man-made petroleum-based mm -hmm. fibers. Then I went upstairs to visit someone else, and I went into their showroom. And they're a well-known company I won't name. And they carry thousands of decorative textiles for the interior design industry. And I looked through their handsome showroom and every last thread of fabric was petroleum based. And I, I despaired because years ago when I worked with that company, I was able to buy some natural fibers from them in linen and in flax and cottons. You can't do it anymore because they, they found that they had to respond to the same things that fast fashion is, has to mm -hmm. respond had to respond to dropping prices. I mean, if you look at fast fashion, people buy 400% more clothing than they bought uh, 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I would submit that 25 years ago, people were way more into like fashion, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now we're dressing way more casually. So mm -hmm. we're churning clothes like crazy. And so we have that fast fashion phenomena and it happens in the design world for all products. There was a great article by Matthew Haig in the Globe and Mail a couple of weeks ago where they, they attacked fast furniture. And they made the point that according to the EPA in the United States, the, the, the waste factor of fast furniture is equally as large as fast fashion. Jesus. And I did not know that, and I'm pretty well informed. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that stirred some conversations here. It feels a bit like whack-a-mole, doesn't it? I mean, ultimately, it, it's so frustrating because we've created such a complex system. And every time you think that you're attacking one thing, boop, 10 others pop up. You know, we've, we've created this lifestyle of comfort and petroleum seems to fit into it so well. And it seems to be so endemic that you can't really touch anything without touching bad stuff. It's hard. It's, it's hard to, to clean it up. So we have, to, we, have to do a better, we have to do a better job if we're a green company. So we have, we have to be, we have to be uh, more righteous on the outset. We have to be more precise. And the other thing we have to do from a branding perspective is we have to go on the attack. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so, you know, as I thought about this project, I, I went back and 
you know, I, cause I, I guess over the years I've kind of read every business book there might've ever been published. It mm -hmm. certainly feels like that sometimes, but you know, um, I, I go back to, uh, uh, you know, Reese and Trout who wrote positioning in the, yeah. in the very early 1980s. And while the circumstances of the markets have changed profoundly, the basic principles of, that they clarified still remain. So um, when, as we come out of the gate now, I mean, we're not shy about calling things as they are mm -hmm. by our competitors. And mm -hmm. we're actually just, we're about four or five days away from, from launching a new page on the website. It'll be called uh, Compare. Mm -hmm. And there we lay out uh, what the other offerings are that kind of roughly equate to what we offer. Some of them, most of them, we, we talk about other green offerings. And mm -hmm. we also talk about the main, mainstream uh, conventional mattress industry, what they offer, and how we price compare. Yeah, I was going to get onto that. You and I have had a number of conversations about this. And uh, your bed ain't cheap, but when you actually stack it up as a la carte, um, the way that you do, and compare it to other conventional petrochemical offerings, the numbers start to look a whole lot better. They do. And, and here, it, it, it's, uh, it, you know, it's both tactical and strategic how we go at it. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when you go to buy a bed as a, as a person out there, you probably haven't looked at beds in seven or eight or nine years. So, you're, so you, don't, you don't have any current knowledge about the market. So all you know is maybe what you heard on some advertisements or some little window that popped up on your computer and told you that, hey, I got a mattress for $9.99. And, and so, you know, what are perceptions about price? What are perceptions about quality? When you go into a big ticket item, there's an education process. So mm -hmm. we have to inform very well. And, and so what we've been looking at, and, and very happily so, is we've been doing a lot of price analysis, but we've been making sure to do a, a legitimate price comparison. Yeah. So if, if you're uh, Casper, and you say, oh, I've got a mattress. They start at, uh, I don't know, $1,800, whatever they start at. Well, they've told you what the smallest one is, the twin size. Mm -hmm. And all they've done is they haven't told you how you're going to sleep. They've just isolated the price of one component mm -hmm. of what you sleep on. So we just finished uh, days ago, and that's why we'll be posting this in about four days. We finished a thing on Casper. And we looked at their website, and we went, and we went shopping on Casper. Mm -hmm. And we found their best bed, which is called the, uh, the, uh, the Casper Wave Hybrid. Mm -hmm. So we said, okay, we'll compare to their best, bread, best bed. And we took queen size and king size. And then we combined it with a, they have a, what they call platform bed frame. And when we put their bed and their platform together, which was qualitatively performance-wise, loosely similar to our own, mm -hmm. Well, Casper still costs less than horizontal, but you know, it was only in U.S. dollars about $400 less. Crazy. And so really, for just spending a little bit more, you could get off that petrochemical toxic brew lifestyle, at least for one third of your entire life. Yeah, I, I'd go at it as a brand guy, though. I mean, yeah. I saw the video that you put on Horizontal's uh, website, and I've talked to you about the way the bed is put together. And you look at the innovation built into it. And then you look at a Casper bed, which is essentially uh, Stay Puff Puff marshmallows. Um, and uh, the, the stuff you get in your bed from the wool to the spring, to the, 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 wooden, the wooden slat system and stuff like that, it's nuts. It's really cool. 
So it, it is kind of apples and oranges, but you have to have people pulled in deep enough that they actually pay attention to that and just go, oh, they don't just go, oh, 400 bucks cheaper. Well, it comes down to how, you know, how, how are people go, for the, for the world as it is today. And I don't use the phrase climate change. I call it climate breakdown because mm -hmm. that's more accurate. Some people can call it climate collapse and that's more accurate. Climate change. This, this mm -hmm. isn't a change. This is a breakdown. Mm -hmm. So how will we buy things in the world as it is? Um, uh, if we want to uh, buy, have immediate gratification, discard, buy again, have immediate gratification and discard. That's not good. You know, we shouldn't have our relationships with other human beings like that. Should we have our relationships with the products we surround ourselves with like that? I don't think so. I think mm -hmm. that makes life less rich. So mm -hmm. I think if we're buying things that last, that have quality and have, you know, good attributes, I think we can enrich our lives. Design mm -hmm. is supposed to enrich our lives. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so part of design is quality. And, and, and these products that are designed uh, to be replaced, that is just the old from early 20th century story. You know, that, that's planned obsolescence. Uh, everybody associated it back in the day with automobiles, you know. You couldn't have a car that was four years old. Mm -hmm. What a loser you are. Mm -hmm. Look, your car's out of date. Uh, and, and, and really, our position now is, is that planned obsolescence is an obsolete idea. You know, you know, there's a great guy in Vancouver. I've just forgotten his name. He writes for, he's written for Forbes. Uh, he's the guy that I think he came up with the, the wild rewilding concept. His name just escapes me. Not Charles Montgomery. I'll have to check now. And um, writes know, about happy cities. Uh, no, 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 different guy. Um, anyway, this guy wrote a great article in Forbes or was it fortune about how the major light bulb people got together in the very early 20th century. Uh, you know, uh, I guess it would be General Electric and Philips, and I think it was the, a German counterpart. And they all met in Europe for a meeting and they all said, you know, we all share a common problem here. These light bulbs are too damn good. Mm -hmm. You know, the people aren't buying them. And, uh, and so they came up with the concept of industrial planned obsolescence, the thousand hour bulb. Well, the bulbs lasted longer back then because they mm -hmm. were so well made. And the, in the article, he mentioned there was some old fire hall in some, you know, uh, small town in California. I guess they had a new fire hall, but they kept the old fire hall. And in the old fire hall, they've still got a light bulb that's been burning since the 1920s. You're kidding me. <laughs> I'm not. Well, you know what's funny? I, I talk to my kids about this. You know, if I want to sit them down around the campfire and tell them stories from before electricity... I, I tell them that when I was born and when I was raised, we had the same phone until I was 22 and I moved out, you know, after university. Mm -hmm. We had the same phone and it was working just fine. And they can't imagine a world where that ever could happen, where a phone could be the same phone. And it, yeah, it was probably it one obsolete of those, after two years. One of those northern telecom phones. Yeah, yeah a, good, a, good, a good rotary dial phone. I love yeah, and, and it made a good hammer too. If you, you I, I know, fill your I know. Wallet. Yeah, you can whack. Your mom could whack you in the head with it. Yeah, can't, your moms can't. Moms can't do that with cell phones anymore. Now, I want to switch gears. I'm not talk about what moms whacking me with a phone. Um, Casper beds. Beds are front and center. It seems like a wonderful time to be entering the market right now because we have walked into a bit of an implosion with all these bed in the box companies, especially Casper. Now they went for an IPO. 
And it was revealed that this company that was the bee's knees isn't actually making any money because they opened up their books and they had to be audited. Uh, what's up with the whole explosion of beds and beds in a box? What's going on? Does suddenly everybody live in a small space and they can only put a bed in a closet or something? Well, I think the, you know, the, the 200 square foot condominium might be a factor here. Um, there's a convenience. Or is it a manufactured element. need? Is it, there's just like trying to disrupt by saying you really do need a bed you can fold into your underwear closet. I think Casper's old news now. The, the innovation never was that they put the bed in a box because for decades and decades before that, uh, major companies like Ikea, where I work, they were shipping things like foam yeah. mattresses and pillows by vacuum shrinking them and then shipping them to make them small and condense. So because it was more price efficient. So that wasn't the innovation, um, even though that appears on the surface to be the innovation. That's what we saw in the ads, right? Yeah, the novelty thing. And I, I, so I guess it was an amusement uh, that, that suited Facebook and YouTube very well at the time. But um, really, um, the novelty was, is they took a large object that was formerly uh, sold in retail chains like Sleep Country or Mattress World or Mattress Giant Corporation in the United States, and, they, and they, they put it online. And they were the first to take that product and move it from the store to the internet. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I think that was the novelty, but that is no longer a novelty. No. That's, that, because in, in our world today, things move so much quicker. So it might've looked like a novelty uh, 10 years ago. Well, they, they flogged it as a novelty. Yeah. I mean, they made, they made a big deal of it. It's as ordinary as ordinary can be today. And, and there, there are 60, 70 Casper lookalike companies doing the same thing exactly. Mm-hmm. I think they all modeled themselves out of that because people thought there'd be a run on this. And if they all used exactly the same business model, they could get bought out and get rich early. Mm-hmm. And hasn't the same thing just happened with cannabis? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> you know? So, you know, everybody it was going to be a gold mine and, it, and yeah. it's kind of it's not. And these companies are collapsing and having all kinds of difficulties. So yeah. I think I think what we saw was um, was uh, just a, 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 a fad. And now now they have to have a bed. And, you know, I, I read an interview with the the president of Casper and he said, oh, well, you know, our next thing is going to be it's going to be uh, recycling. I thought, oh, you loser. I mean, you're, you're, that's, not, that's not remotely enough anyway. You're not doing anything in that regard. Yeah. And, and of course, as I test the market, you know, we have to spend a lot of time looking at what other people do. So I go to the Casper website and many others, and I get on the chat. And, mm-hmm. I, and I go, I say, I'm at your shopping cart now. I have some questions. And then mm-hmm. I ask them things like that. I say, well, uh, how can I... How can I recycle my old Casper mattress? I fib a little. How mm-hmm. can I recycle my old fat, fat, uh, mat- Casper mattress? I, I live in Vancouver. And, and uh, they just give me, uh, the chat person has a pre-prepared thing, and mm-hmm. they just send me a link to Google where I can go looking around for myself and see what uh, the public has, the public corporations like Metro Vancouver, mm-hmm. our municipalities, what yeah. have they got for disposal? So yeah. what, what are they doing? They're making a product and yeah. then they're putting the, the biggest problem they make, they're yeah. putting it onto the public purse so every taxpayer can pay for it. Well, it's like, it's like Walmart, right? Where they paid their workers basically enough to starve and then they put them on food stamps. So they basically offsource their, their low pricing 
into the into the government system. It's it's a sick system. But I want to I want to bring this home. I want I want to get some lessons. You're starting out. The best thing that you've done as far as marketing goes, and what you would counsel uh, people who are entrepreneurs who are starting in, and perhaps with a big ticket item like yours, perhaps not. But where would you start as far as building that brand and marketing and making the making the cash register ring? Well, I think you have to go back to the beginning and you have to say, why am I doing this? <laughs> That's the first thing. I'm because sure everybody you, asks themselves that a lot. Yeah, because you're an entrepreneur here. You know, why am I doing this? Um, is, it, is it good for me? And then hopefully you're asking, is it good for others? I hope mm-hmm. so. Um, and and I, are you doing... Are you doing something trivial? Are you doing something that has a deeper meaning? That's where I start anyway. And I, and I, and I, you know, and I, I look at climate change and climate breakdown, climate collapse, and I say, I can't fix that alone, but I have some skills. Um, I, you know, I have some skills of persuasion. I have some marketing skills. I, I know how things work. I have material skills. I can attack, in my case, I said, I can attack the night. I can't change the world. I could change the way people sleep. It might take me 10 or 15 years uh, to, to get it going, but I don't know, maybe, maybe what I'm doing, can it, can it catch fire? Will it catch fire? I don't know yet, but I do know from the tests we've done where we decided to put the website out and then instead of trying to sell anything, we just went out to a whole cohort of people and said, hey, this is what we've been doing for the past two and a half years. Could you take a look at our website? And Mark, you're one of those people I asked. Yeah. And I said, can you take a look and tell us what you think? And they've given us their feedback. So, and we learn from that and we listen and, and then, we, then we continue to adjust it. And we're in that phase right now before we go out for what I'd call a bigger launch. Yeah. And so so we're, we're crafting it further and refining it. You know what I like, um, and I, I use the same approach on Fortis Natural Gas when we launched their renewable natural gas to commercial customers. You've got a program where for 500 bucks, I can put 500 bucks down. Yeah. And if you get enough people giving down 500 bucks, you make the beds. I mean, you're going to make the beds anyway, but it's almost like a, a on demand. And I interviewed a great company, young company called CrossNet, where that's how they financed without ever getting, that's how they financed manufacturing without ever going out for capital. Mm-hmm. And uh, it worked. It worked like crazy for them. And I can imagine. I mean, five hundred bucks isn't a lot to put down. And then you say, okay, then you got to pony up the rest when the bed comes available, or you give me a, a bonus if I pony up the rest of the money quickly. Um, but it gives you an instant indicator who's going to be buying this thing. And then what you can do, you can lever that, like yes. this Crossnet company did, and yeah. say, hey, we got a hundred people bought this thing. You want one? Then suddenly everybody goes, oh, must be safe to go in the water. I think really, it's a terrific it, approach. It's, a, it's really testing the market. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, yeah, you're exactly right about that. And that, that's how we're going at it. So we're, we're making it the, the, the entry point. It's a very low bar. And, uh, and, we're, and we're seeing what people do. And we're seeing, very importantly, who does it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is giving us you know, all kinds of uh, clarity as we, as we uh, figure out how to do it. But we are yeah. doing something. It's, We're doing something quite different. So mm-hmm. there is, there's experimentation and there's, there's, there's testing all the way. You know, there's another thing uh, you, you just mentioned it. So it might take 10, 15 years. Uh, it takes me back to Jim Collins, good to great. 
uh, where he talked about momentum and how people get frustrated if they don't get an overnight online hit. And what he talked about was that in the real world, the great companies were the folks who realize that they have to keep pushing against that flywheel, even if it's not moving, and then it slowly starts to move. And they have to realize that it's going to be brutally hard and shitty for a while, but then the momentum actually starts. You have to keep learning and not get discouraged, but fully recognize that it isn't going to happen overnight. And I think, I mean, your experience uh, with UA, uh, your experience with horizontal now, uh, mirrors that you've got that perspective. Also, your perspective uh, coming from the sustainability world mirrors that. You know that we built this thing over 400 years. This really crappy situation. We can't go snap and solve the problem overnight because you no. can recycle your Casper. It's like the 10,000 hours concept, right? I mean, yeah. you know, people people hear about some amazing new band or musician, and they go, "Oh wow!" And then then you or you find out, you know, that person they they were out there. Uh, against that flywheel and yeah. and even even back to ikea you know ikea is the largest furniture company in in the world you know but you know it started in um in ingvar kamprad the ik of ikea it started in his dad's backyard with a shed that was about the size of a johnny on the spot and and, and that was it and he had a logo on the shed that's funny. <laughs> and he and he started doing stuff like and that that's how it went. Uh, it, you know, in those in that in those early early days before before uh, you know we got to Broadway. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, uh, so again, horizontal dot eco. Uh, the bed looks amazing. I'm going to encourage everybody to go check it out because it looks quite unlike anything I've seen before. I love the buttons on it. It's got some really cool design features, and you got to watch the video how the thing works. And then also check out the multi-layer approach and the sort of a la carte approach. I love the way this is put together. Put your $500 down, sign up for a bed, and uh, yeah, make that flywheel spin for Mr. Laycock here. Len, thank you so much for taking the time. <laughs> thank you, Mark. You've been listening to Didn't See It Coming, the show about brands that learn from the past, look to the future, and profit today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. If you'd like to talk about brands, drop me a line. I'd love to hear your ideas. That was easy, wasn't it? That's fun. <laughs>